father-son podcasting duo that talk about all things Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. And if uh, if you haven't noticed, if you haven't been around for a while, um, hey, we're, we're getting close to the end of our massive summer list of 101 things to do in Dungeons and Dragons before you die. That's right. This is part six of our journey in exploring the different things in D&D that sometimes are overlooked or sometimes that we don't get a chance to do and we thought with this list celebrating our 100th episode right of the podcast. and there's, there's a lot of stuff on this list that has really come from all of our episodes so mm. in some ways if you're just joining us for the very first time you're getting like a whole lot of episodes crammed into one space so this is like super value time very true something new something maybe you've already heard putting it into a new perspective that's our goal here as we start with number 31 yeah, so this is uh, this is really something more you have done more of than I have. But number 31 is make your own homebrew class and play it. Yeah, the second part there is um, often the harder bit, surprisingly. Yeah, anybody can make a homebrew class, baby. Just look at Reddit. It's but where do it. you start? Exactly. This is such a hard... The hardest thing is coming up with the idea, obviously. Well, right? and this is interesting because classes aren't something you can build inside D&D Beyond either. You can make subclasses because each of the classes has its own unique framework and where, you know, special features and abilities are handed out or given to you. Um, and and to be honest, it does feel um, like the classes we have kind of touch all the bases you need in, in a fantasy genre. Do we need do we need more archetypes? Well, the idea of need and want and perhaps interest and those are um those are all different sort of stories that kind of start to unwind and unravel. And there are many things which in the whole range of, of characters we see in, in literature and in what we might want to play as a fantasy hero, there are definitely things that maybe step outside of, of what is currently possible. I agree. Right? Or they, they just seem different somehow. Well, they seem different enough that I they can't deserve. quite yeah. build it with the tools I've got. i got to kind of go a different way. Or the other way around is you think of a new set of tools, but it doesn't really work to like retrofit it into any subclass. Like maybe you think of a new feature and, and suddenly it starts to piece together that there's this whole class that comes together around this mechanic that you just thought of, right? Or you think maybe, I like the idea of the half caster, the ranger and the paladin, they have martial stuff, but they also kind of tie into, let's say the paladin, their tie-ins to cleric with their divine and their channel divinity or whatever. And the rangers and their tie into the druid nature stuff a little bit. And you think, well, I kind of want that, but I want it for, like, sorcerer, or I want it for wizard, or I want it for whatever, right? The idea is you have some idea for a class, and it could be specifically for a setting. That is another thing I've learned how to, how to do in certain settings. Certain classes make more sense. So do you have an example of a, of a class you've made? I have many classes I've made. Um, for a larger writing project I was doing, I was revising a lot of stuff in 5e for my own setting. Um, which is more of a gothic Victorian setting. Yeah, you and that rebuilt required, like, almost every class, right? Yeah, and that involved me rebuilding many classes, but also making a bunch of new classes. Um, some of them taking elements from classes which I discarded and 
piecing them together into something new. Um, some of the new classes I made include Witch, and you'll see many homebrews for class like yeah. Witch. Which and is kind of you neat. and I even did a different version of that one back as well. And and I love that idea of because for me, witches are different than the way wizards work, and they're oh, different sure. than the way druids work. And more work. than just a gendered whatever. Yeah, thing, and right? whatever. But this more, yeah, there's there is something in between. Um, and there's so many. And this is the other thing. I think when I see classes, I like to see something that's kind of in in our folklore already, right? Mm. And witches are definitely, there's so many different ways we've talked about them and expressed them through very many stories. But none of them really fit wizard, sorcerer, warlock perfectly. I mean, you can make one oh, doing yeah, those. Totally. But sometimes you kind of want to do it so that you really lean into sure. the story better. Well, our so. parts of it all feel kind of right. Like maybe the wizard, you like the spellbooky element and the learning and discovering magics. Yeah. And maybe in the artificer, you like the idea of brewing potions or yeah. making magical flying broomsticks or whatever. And maybe in the warlock class, you like the idea of a close, evil, you know, strange familiar, sure. like an imp familiar. Or maybe you like the idea of the ability to hex and curse people. Yeah. All of those different things are they're kind of in dis the, distinct classes. Yeah. Right? They're, they're spread like out the, all over the sure. place. You, know, you like wow. the natural magics of, of druid and their kind of... Yeah, and there's a healing magic and stuff healing in there inside. as well. Sure, right. And so those things don't all exist in one pool. You can't do it unless you were to build a new class that... Mm -hmm says okay we're gonna put all those things in one pool boop and that's and, their, sort of their thing right and then you start thinking well i can actually make lots of different subclasses now because how many different type which mm. types do we have you know in story and let's see oh, if we sure. can't come up with a way to let play people make these very distinctly different looking hmm. uh types of witches so yeah i think something like that makes uh, a lot of sense um, um some other ideas throwing around what, what could you do with a new homebrew class um, other ones I've made include a host, which use their own, like, willingly let themselves kind of be possessed to do some ghosty, haunting kind of magics that are outside of spells, mm. um, that are all about summoning spectral servants or blades or shields or, or floating up in the air or appearing all ghastly or using channeling the dead to empower yourself. Um, without just using magics and being much more ghosty in in um, and that, that really kind of works vibe. with the great like Victorian seance sort yes, of stuff. Yes, that was the idea with that as well. As well. Um, uh, and you you took apart um, monk and put some mystic stuff in there as well. Well, I, I use the name, but really that's as far as it goes. I make it more of a a crafty and uh, creating items and going into more again a little bit um, of that idea of. Me far off medicines or or even local or local medicines and learning how to use the occult to brew certain incenses or, or you know create items as well as to enhance yourself right um, and you can run with that idea maybe you like an existing class but you feel like you want it to lean more in a certain direction revise the monk class if you don't quite like it revise and this kind of ties into even our last episode we talked about revising a class homebrew it and add some new stuff in add take some old stuff out you know, more than just tweaks and balances, make a whole new class. I mean, yeah. look at the the ranger and you're like, I don't really like as much of the natural elements, but I like the idea of this person who's kind of trained in hunting things, right? Yeah. And go for a full-on hunter, and right? It's, and it's really great when you've got some friends to bounce these ideas off of mm. as well. And this is where the play it and play test it stuff definitely comes in. Um, showing it to players you play with all the time, people you know are also DMs you co-DM with or things to sort of help you recognize when when you've taken uh, features too far 
right and you pull it back because the best part of homebrewing thing is you get to make them so powerful yeah you can make them whatever you want and then you realize why being too powerful is sometimes not great um yeah make us like a mystic psionic class if you wanted to make a make a bunch of different things you know um it's definitely one thing that if you get the chance to make something and play it, it can be rewarding. It can be a great learning experience. Yeah. Um, Nothing teaches you the mechanics of D&D, like oh, yes. creating something that breaks it completely. My first piece of advice, if you don't even know where to start, open up an existing class, copy-paste the whole thing, and then start making your changes. Yeah, just tweak, the, tweak things little bit by little bit inside mm-hmm. where they're tweakable rather than starting from scratch. Yeah, have an idea as well, because if you don't have an idea, you're not going to get anywhere. Moving on, number 30. Yes, cast a spell at the table that almost no one has ever seen before. And this could mean a couple different things. One interpretation, I think this is the first interpretation, pick a spell that no one picks. Yeah, And so that's what I'm sort of saying. It. First of all, there is a ton of spells out there that are... What are some good examples well, of Well, first of all, let's say there's a lot of spells that people use again and again and again. And there's a reason mm-hmm. for it because they're really good spells and they're like top shelf. And there's ones that then, you know, especially when you start getting up in level a little bit with them, maybe also that's the other thing is you don't get a chance to cast higher level spells because you play a lot of lower level campaigns and things. You see the same spells uh, kind of over and over. Um, The one that that jumps to mind, um, and I'm just going to try and find it here. It's, uh, I think it's called Maelstrom. Maelstrom? Oh, Maelstrom. Love Maelstrom. Maelstrom. Yeah. So I hadn't seen or heard Maelstrom before. I don't know why I hadn't kind of gotten to it. Um, maybe because it's, I don't know, too alphabetically too far down. Um, and I was playing Curse of Strahd. And I'm just, I'm just trying to look this up. Maelstrom. Mm-hmm. Uh, oops. M-A-E-L. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was playing in Curse of Strahd, and they were players were down in the the basement sort of level of it around the kitchen area and all sorts of creatures are coming at them hordes of skeletons and there's you know wraiths there's all sorts of stuff and the druid was like hmm all right uh i'm gonna create a swirling and oh that was the other thing as i there was this sort of like deep fog on the floor sort of already uh everywhere and they're like hey is um is the fog like you know there's a lot of moisture in that would you count that as like a body of water and i'm like i like playing yes and so i like yeah okay sure <laughs> are you going <laughs> um, with this and they're like yeah okay so a swirling mass of five foot deep water so five foot deep right away i'm like whoa okay so this was waist deep uh, fog a second ago now it's like armpit deep um water appears in a 30 foot radius centered on a point you see which basically at this point fills much of the room um basement and um and then uh, until the spell spell ends everything is difficult terrain which is fine and any creature that starts its turn makes a strength saving throw or takes 66 bludgeoning damage and is pulled towards the center of it it becomes this giant whirlpool blender um that just eats skeletons essentially oh yeah um, the vulnerability to bludgeoning damage some of them too <laughs> i know that skeletons are zombies um so anyways um yeah uh that was a thing and mm-hmm. I, it was actually one of my like i enjoyed the sort of moment of it because that was suddenly like 
What? This is a fifth level spell. Um, so yeah, you don't see fifth levels, I guess that as as often as you see, you know, the lower one, two, three spells. So yeah, sometimes when you get to the points of the game where they somebody trots out something like this, but it's just um, it's just so wonderful at a table when you see a spell and and like a lot of experienced players there we were all like okay what what, what does maelstrom do mm -hmm. and we all had to stop and take a second to read it and look at it and go oh that's a cool spell um yeah. and you know and it's been there since elemental evil players companion came out which was like i don't know five years ago or something so it's not like this is new new even um but there are new spells also um that have been published more recently and there is ways that you can even amongst you know veteran players still pull out new things that surprise people yeah um it's it's definitely some fun like other fun spells even looking through third level spell options if you're a wizard artificer take tiny servant that's a fun one um i don't know look at something like water walk what does that do sure. intellect fortress um control winds i mean flame i don't even know how you use a spell like that be creative about it catnap why not nobody that's actually a better spell than people think like 10 minutes is to gain a short rest that well, seems okay the philosophy is if you can take 10 minutes can you take two hours yeah but i suppose sometimes you can uh, I don't know. yeah it's an interesting one um ashler Dawn stride is a new one that i think is quite fun or a vitality if you're a paladin or a couple subclasses i mean that's a great one to try and throw out that you never see beacon of hope why not do that one um there's a lot of like go through the spell list and pick a spell you've never heard or read or maybe you've thought about but like never really picked or, and, yeah and or you it, think take or you it. think it's a bad spell you think it's a bad spell do it anyway do it anyways yeah make a build around it make it work talk to your dm like i want to make this spell better i want to cast a yeah, spell well, and there's always that it. too sometimes your dm will be sympathetic to the fact that hmm. some spells as written are kind of garbage and with a tiny little tweak to it is less garbage hmm. and worth casting and they will definitely can see if you make a, a valid argument towards it that, you know, a small tweak to it will, will make your character, for whatever reason, just that much cooler. Um, and, yeah, easier fix than giving you a magic item or something. Yeah, like who casts Arms of Hadar, you know? Uh, uh, oh, edgy, the, war edgy Warlocks. No one casts Arms of Hadar. I mean, I never see it taken by warlocks, except maybe some goo warlocks, great old ones. I don't know. There's a lot of unique spells out there yeah. that are, that, you know, have the potential to be good, but are limited by perhaps low damage or mm. restrictions. Like, what if we just, like, tweaked these restrictions a little bit? How would you feel about that? Maybe your DM's down for it. Maybe you don't even need DM approval. Just do it anyways. Um, and then that kind of leads us into the the idea of tweaking spells and casting spells no one's seen before because they're a little bit different and we've talked about customizing spells before so we won't need to go fully into that but um yeah that's a that's a fun one play a spell or cast a spell that is no one no one has seen at the table before um and then make it a thing that's regular and like oh hey there's actually a lot of scenarios where the spell can be very useful Skyrite. Who would have known? <laughs> yeah. When we laugh because we think, oh, they're such dumb spells. But, I mean, uh, there are great ones in there. And ones that sometimes are even off-putting because their name doesn't actually mean what it, it says. Like, um, eye bite and things like that are... Man, we have, what does that even do? Uh, does it bite eyes? I don't know. No. Don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, and so those are sort of things that, you know, I guess, you know, this part of what we, this podcast has always been trying to, to do is encourage you to take the the road less traveled um take a chance on on something that you don't often see played or done and yeah just make sure that you're you know you keep things fresh and interesting mm. 
Yes, um, for sure. One thing to keep things fresh and interesting with your players at the table, number 29, Yeah, is as a DM, or even as a player, you could petition as a group even, play with encumbrance or even variant encumbrance with some coin weight. Yeah, and play with coin weight. So as your players get better and better, you know, we're assuming that, you you know, this isn't your first first rodeo. You're not your first campaign with everybody. Um, bring encumbrance and coin weight in. We, we've been talking uh, of many times of this 101 list of how dexterity seems to be so much more important than strength. And that comes up in the game quite a bit. The minute we put encumbrance rules back into the game, which many people have just kind of opted out of, because um, there's some optional things when you're building your character uh, in D&D Beyond that you can sort of switch off encumbrance rules. But you can very easily switch those back on. And now that they're working, D&D Beyond's done these wonderful things about inventory, uh, way you can organize it, the way you put it in various containers, the way if you put it inside a bag of holding, its weight comes out of it, and all sorts of really nice things. So more than ever now, it's easy to play um, with encumbrance. Now, encumbrance is a strength related topic um which hooray strength people get something to actually have to deal um to work with uh the rules for lifting and carrying are intentionally simple but there's a variant uh if you're looking for more detailed rules determining how a character is hindered by the weight of equipment when you use this variant you ignore the strength column in the armor's table right so Instead of needing 15 strength to use heavy armor, you can use it. You can use it. But, but the weight of it becomes crazy bad. Um, if you carry weight in excess of five times your strength score, you are encumbered, which means your speed drops by 10 feet. So five times your strength score. So is if you're, kind of the halfway So if your, mark, strength, right? if your strength is eight, which some people you dump stat it, right? Sure. Uh, that means that you can carry a whole 40 pounds. Before you start that, losing speed, you're a little you're encumbered, right? Right, which lightly and, encumbered though. Yeah. You're just encumbered, right? Yes, but ten feet of movement—that's like two squares on on the map, on the battle map. That's it's big. That's a big deal. And if um, your weight and it's is in excess of ten times your strength score, yeah, heavily encumbered, heavily encumbered, your speed drops by twenty feet. You have disadvantage on all ability checks, attack rolls, and saving throws that use strength decks and constitution. All yeah. of them, which means half of the checks, attacks, and saves you're making. And it's pretty easy to find 100 pounds of weight if you're only strength 10. Let me tell you, it's pretty yeah. easy to blow over this. And strength 8, 80 pounds, and you're yeah. essentially disabled from, I mean, doing Now, this, this changes, casting. This changes, of course, if you play a Furbolg or a Goliath because they you get to double yes, uh, right. how much you, your maximum carry capacity is. I don't know if it does. Yep. It sure does. Well, because it doesn't change your strength score. No, but it, it still says... Um, I know, but it says if you carry weight in excess of 10 times your strength score, which means even if you're carrying 10 times up, your strength score... Up to your maximum. Yeah, but it still says if you carry mm. weight in excess of your strength score. I'd say DM ruling. I would be like, yeah, of course. You're, that's the whole point of the thing is that your carrying capacity is doubled. Yeah, I mean, because means... they're generally... Those... those mm classes are written for the the basic carrying capacity where it says you, you're just basically doubling yeah. your in your normal carrying capacity is your strengths were multiplied by 15 mm-hmm. um which gives you a lot of carrying capacity so what this does by adding in the inc- variance encumbrance rules by playing with this weight and particularly coin weight which adds up really fast um is that is that a lot of your your weaker characters are not going to want to be carrying 
any sort of equipment, extra equipment. Right, right now, like most people just keep all sorts of stuff on their character sheet. Well, now the artificers are especially useful. Not with their yeah, bag of holding. You want that bag of holding. You definitely want your handy haversacks. You want your extra dimensional or you your know, hirelings holes, to carry things for these you. Into, you know? Yeah, maybe your floating disc or whatever it might be. But this is one quick way to sort of put strength back into the game in a way that's meaningful. Mm, yeah, I use this in my own games as well with uh, sort of a variance on that. It's a little bit less. And like the D&D Beyond intense. character sheets do it for you easily. For sure. Very it's true. great. Another great thing with D&D Beyond. Um, and is that one of the big things on this that affects is movement, which mm. takes us to number 28, which is moving like a pro. Number 28, particularly moving diagonally like a pro. What does that mean, moving diagonally? Okay, so on a, a grid, uh, if you play it on one, if you move your your mini, your character's token, uh, a diagonal square, we, you know, in the b basic beginner levels, we just like, yeah, that's just five feet, whatever, no problem. Um, but as it's explained in the Dungeon Master's Guide, eh, it's actually not quite accurately five feet. Um, it turns out that it's more like seven and a half feet. So DM's guide suggests a couple of different ways you can deal with this. You can say, okay, the first square diagonally during your movement is just, you know, counts as five feet of movement. Your second diagonal square, however, will count as 10 feet of movement. Mm. Sort of averages it out that way. Um, or maybe like math, you can count it as seven and a half feet of movement sure. and just keep track of when you do you know when you no longer have enough movement to get you know a whole nother square um mm. that is that is that i mean you think it's this isn't a big thing to sort of uh, maybe you're listening going i don't get why what that's all about but I find as you begin to play with more advanced players, as your team, as your tables get more sophisticated. And as you have a chance to play maybe with maps and tokens. And, and they, and yeah, when this shit, and we do play with maps and stuff all the time now, have been for a long time. My players are tactically very savvy on a battle mm. map. They understand distances and what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do. They understand all these things. So um, me putting in something like this makes it more realistic because it's very easy for a player to move diagonally across my board and gain an additional 50% movement. Um, if they're smart of how they use it, if I say, yeah, diagonal movement's free, they'll be like, okay, great. I'm going to move diagonally because I get to go a lot farther across this board. I can open up a lot more space between me and the bad guys. Um, and so anyways, it's a good way to sort of, if you've got a more advanced team, playing to sort of bring a little bit better um sort of balance into hmm. into the game yeah there's it's just something here the dmg talks a little bit about diagonal movement i believe yeah that's where i got them all from yeah not making um, it up promise yeah it's in the rules as well so yeah. consider playing with it yeah so and this isn't yeah this definitely is rules as written stuff um and it's for a reason because obviously you know other advanced tables out there have already figured this stuff out hmm Number 27. Starting a campaign with rolling for initiative before PCs even get a chance to talk. Yep. This is an experience you've had. 
and I would recommend this as putting this on your list of things to do before you die. So as a DM, this is how you do this. Basically, you give everybody a big backstory of, you know, what you're up to and how you're, you know, part of this elite squad, a secret organization that protects the king. Or that's um, your case. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can build your own scenario, but I'll give you as a, an example. Uh, and that you've got a, uh, a secret guild hall meeting to discuss the, uh, you know, potential handover of the throne from the ailing king to his you know rightful heir and uh jess says uh you know you're sitting down with all these new players you haven't played with before you haven't you've had we had a session zero but we hadn't really talked in character yet sure or met each other's characters nope hadn't really introduced them um, in character, you know. in character yet sure. we had looked at them a little bit out of character and then we you know we all sit down and you know, he describes the setting as we all come into this room and that nobody's really got heavy armor. If you've got light armor or a dagger, you can bring that to the meeting. Uh, but pretty much, you know, nobody's coming in with any equipment or anything that's coming in sitting down to have this this spiel. And we're all like, okay, cool. We're ready to sort of, you know, for some role play to sort of happen. And then suddenly uh, an enormous fireball erupts in the middle of the room, exploding, and you know, some of us taking a bit of damage, and like people scattering back and rolling out of the way, and bad guys swooping in with crossbows, and the you know, main wizardy dude being like imprisoned and sent off to another plane, and we're all like, "What the hell?" And it, and basically, just at that point of you know, describing the chaos in the room, rolling for initiative, and we're immediately in initiative order, you know this is it like this is this we're into the action immediately there wasn't an elaborate bringing the party together and talking about your backstories or role-playing each of you how do you get into this scene or how do you know each other you don't know each other you're all part of an organization but you've not really met before you've come in from different places and kaboom now you're all on the run together have fun and and i really think there's there's something to be said for this idea of starting starting a campaign with a fight or even starting sometimes if it's not your whole campaign even if you're playing from week to week i like doing cliffhangers that sometimes stop the the, the previous session right before i would say roll for initiative mm. and then you pick up the following week with roll for initiative um or even have roll for initiative in the following week you start the actual top yeah. of round I mean, one that's what they did in the xu recently yeah no big spoilers but um mm. that there was you know just these ideas of how uh how to use initiative is this cliffhanger moment or yeah. this like leap into the story. Yeah. Right. If you want to get people immersed right away into your campaign, you're like, oh, I don't know what the introduction should be. Start with a fight. Yeah. And then people can see kind of who each other are. And we managed to do some talking and roll RP throughout the fight. Sure. Um, and that's something you should always encourage people to do. Especially at the table. Um, like, yeah. If people are metagaming, do it in character if you can. Um, that's yeah. what I always let them talk and shout out stuff to each other and yeah have some fun with that yeah definitely um if you've ever seen like tv shows movies like combat exchanges are always a bit like a dialogue exchange as well um in that like you'll have a, a turn and like a do this big thing and then do a little quip and then someone responds and there's a funny moment and a, a scary moment and a sad moment, whatever right it's it's again just storytelling right and combat is part of that um and should be a part of your storytelling toolbox number 26 a different way to do something similar but um yeah so you start so 26 is start with a 20th level boss fight that kills the entire party this one i think maybe needs more context as well okay so this is a variation on the previous one 
both run by the same DM, by the way. So you can sort of see he's got a bit of a theme going here. Mm. Um, but I like it. I like it a lot. Um, and I recommend you try this yourself. So often we don't ever get to see our campaigns last long enough for our characters to make 20th level. Like that's mm. just the, the, the fact of life, right? Some people will speculate when they're building their, you know, first or sixth level or whatever character that, oh, what would this guy be like at 20th level, I right? Know. Now Wouldn't it be so cool then if I gave my players all a chance to play their characters at 20th level? You did this as well with some characters, didn't you? Some... I think I probably did at one point. Yeah, so you get, you get them all to build their character all the way up to 20th level and who they are and what they're sort of going to be. And um, and then you place them in an epic 20th level boss fight. And I've run just some of these as one-shot f- things for friends as well. If you've never run a 20th level fight with friends, that should be on your bucket list of things to do as well mm. um and here's the kind of the cool second part of that um is that it's okay if you kill the whole party here because sort of what ends up happening is that you sort of do a time rewind somehow or this becomes a foreshadowing event that the players all have a collective memory or dream of that they have these visions of their character dying at the hands of this you know, demon god creature, whatever it might be, massive dragon, whatever. Pick your CR twenty plus creature that is your big that's going boss, to crush right? the heck out of everybody, sure. and keep it as this intimidating, scary thing that their low level characters still find themselves on the path hurtling towards, mm-hmm. um, and wondering if it'll just be history repeating itself, or if this time they make different choices as they level up and they build mm. their characters slightly different and they get there and they're not the same that thing that was that met it the last time and that this time circumstances are different and with yeah. a do-over they get a chance to to win this time maybe mm. it sets up a good mystery too often you'll be able to do this big fight and then as they're dying you set this last little clue in motion right which yeah. then is experienced by the next party it could be again history repeating itself kind of thing or just a dream or maybe it wasn't a dream or whatever play with that idea but it's it's a fun way mechanically to get everyone to you know have a look at their most powerful selves and do this thing which we rarely get to do which is to play high level characters yeah and then get into the long-term story right? and, it, and he also asked you about Best what, what sort of magic items would your character want at 20th level mm. should have some stuff and then of course that magic item for the campaign yeah. means okay well these are the magic items we will now place very so along the way in the campaign grow with maybe when you first like that 20th level thing it was this great amazing sword and really session one you still have that sword but it's just a dinky little plus one whatever silvered whatever right i mean there's a lot of fun things you can do with it yeah i think that that also i mean just and just running a 20th level fight you're gonna learn as a dm first of all that ah, when everybody's hit points are much much higher it takes a lot longer for things to die. Unless you do a lot more damage. Well, and even though that, that does seem to happen, it, it does still seem to be that 20th level fights just go on for a lot longer than... Tend, yeah, uh, they tend to be much happen, longer yeah. than um, uh, low-level mm-hmm. fights. It's good for session zero as well, if you want to, like, not really the start of the campaign, but kind of the start of the campaign. Yeah. Understanding it'll be a whole session of setting up this whole fight and... You know, even if you start right away, 20 little, this dream starts again, you all fight it, or even don't set up a dream. It's just some TV shows kind of got that cold open vibe. This is your cold open to the campaign where you do this big yeah. fight, kill them, wake up in the dream. All right, that's a wrap for the first session. 
Um, and then the next session, you introduce everyone for real, for real, and the actual story. It's a fun way to do a session zero that's a little bit different from just a, a sitting around the table and talking um, out of character. Fun. Um, a different thing you can do to pull a party together or set, uh, establish a campaign, a good start for a campaign. Number, Number 25. 25. Give the party a home base or a ship of operations. Yeah. Um, why, why this one? Well, okay. First of all, I mean, everybody loves a home base. Yes, it's true. Um, and I think even as fans, I remember in Critical Role watching them get the Jor house and how I always loved that place. I always like. I always wish the party would be going back there more, doing more things. Um, I don't know why. I think this little part of us that always likes to play house a little bit in D anD. d Or even um, the idea of just like a safe space, right? It is. Because a lot of adventuring, it feels like you're just going from town to town, and where are we going? And it's always moving, and it's you know we don't mm. have a, a place where we can from time to time teleport back, make our way back, regroup, collect our stuff, go again, like a little stronghold that sure. we've got to that's protected from the the evilness of the world maybe it's in between planes and frankly there is there is a lot of historical rules in dungeons and dragons for building for building strongholds for building castles for building... so in 5e surprisingly yeah but i mean it, it doesn't take much to go and find the old stuff Very true. um and you could be like you. You could. I could see players wanting to play nobles and lords and whatever. One, if you think of servants, figuring and, out your hirelings and how many things. It's still math problems of like how do I to manage yeah. gold income versus that. And when you start running low, you're like, okay, it's time to go get that dragon's hoard of money. Sure. And you know, it, it's maybe a slightly different motivation for taking out the dragon. Maybe not. Maybe the dragon's been bugging everybody. Anyways. Maybe one player's really not into the whole adventuring and dungeoning stuff, and they just get invited to the sessions for the strongholding and the tax <laughs> collecting. And the, I mean, maybe. I don't know. Right? Um, but you can defend things like that from you know invasions of you know whatever you know neighboring armies or realm things from another realm or whatever i mean who knows there's a great opportunity for a code em as well someone who's just about the stronghold you yeah know, when, they get and, called in when and you gotta and like many things in DD, some dms don't referee their player character like their players character sheets very well you know not really looking at them very often are the players keeping track of their gold or their their arrows or ammunition their food very well some of them say they're taking things off their sheet maybe they are maybe they're not maybe they forget to whatever um but if you're going to play this sort of thing where you're looking after a base or potentially even a ship uh where there's upkeep costs where there's outgoing expenses where there, you know you've got to pay for various things um there needs to be a spreadsheet people need to be sharing it um Thank God for Google these days. You can yeah, like get all the different classes to do a different thing. Maybe the rogue is running some sort of black market against all the other players. Understanding the paladins got some sort of training of knights or some order. Maybe the cleric set up a little temple in town. Like sure. all of them can have a stake in putting their personal mark on the world. If you're making it a whole stronghold with other people yeah. in it, right? Um, that suddenly they've now got a town that they're all this council of rulers and. I don't know, that's a fun way to transition into high-tier play as well as they become more powerful and esteemed, you know, mages, sorcerers, you know, fighters, champions of the realm, um, giving them a, a mark of that legacy yeah. rather than just being this bumbling, still this bumbling group trying to figure out. Because level one, it's like makes sense that they own nothing. But level 10, you got to have something at that point. I mean, even level 14, 15, well, like, come often, on. Often our question is, what are we doing with all this money? Yeah, what are we doing with all this money? pour it into the town you know yeah. and now more quests come up when this town is threatened right it's the self-fulfilling yeah or maybe towns like that sit on the edge of something that like some hellmouth that's always 
a Always, dangerous yeah. point anyhow. Right so. next to this demonic gate opening, this rift opening, right? Uh, You're like, ah, you gotta deal with it, right? I played an Eberron campaign uh, where we had a uh, airship, sky Yeah, maybe it's thing. not a whole town. Even, like, let's reduce the scale to an airship, right? Yeah, and it was... And so there was, like, first of all, the overall, like, monthly fees on the ship that we had to pay to the crime boss. Right. Uh, who was our sort of, which you want to call it, our, our patron. patron. Group yeah. patron. Yeah, look up group um, patrons as well. So was our group patron was a crime boss who wasn't very nice to us. And we had to keep payments on him. But he kept, like, did send us on, like, really crap jobs that, you know. And we had other, like, contacts and things where we could sell artifacts to. And we had other, like, kind of good jobs and things. Kind of a mix of stuff going on. Bit of a Firefly crew. But the ship was kind of, like, it needed a lot of love and help. We used to sort of fake our way through being able to fight with it. Um and uh till we actually could fix the sort of ballistas and some of the things on it and stuff and hire some more crew and we had some really interesting npc crews on board the ship and what would give them to abilities powers to do and stuff over it and that was actually a lot of fun and it allowed for us to play a very episodic sort of uh game where each sort of week the the ship could kind of be somewhere new somewhere different and we could drop in and we could do this little thing and they all the episodes were had a sort of a connecting arc that sort of went over it but we still like from week to week was about how much money we could get out of each of the dungeons and if we got lucky it'd be a lot and if we didn't get so lucky it wasn't maybe so much and and that added a whole sort of fun businessy sort of vibe to the whole thing and seeing the ship get paid off in advance and our you know weapons getting upgraded and choosing various things we could do with the ship was fun uh i really enjoyed that i thought it was yeah. you know one of the best parts of that game mm. and tying into that if you want to lean into more of that two phases of adventuring and the time outside of adventuring yeah. um number 24 spend time doing downtime absolutely because we've had a whole episode on on downtime and we talk about it all the time what is downtime for those who are unaware so yeah, like there's as a, many DMs who have got campaigns that they're really excited to play put almost nothing in the way of downtime into the campaign. Mm-hmm. So your players are always on the go. They're always doing something. Every rest they're keeping watches because they're always going to make an attack. It's just constant like pressure go go go. Downtime is when there is no uh there's nothing going to kill you or attack you. You are at this very moment safe to hang yeah. out and do what you want. You're often in a town or a city, um, or need to be. not necessarily, but somewhere at least safe enough where you're not going to be, you know, have a raiding party of gnolls, you know, crashing down your door every other night. You know, right. it's uh, it's time for you to be able to work on things. Wizards particularly love this. There's a ton of rules for how you can, you know, do stuff as wizards, but other players get to do stuff too. Oh There's yeah, a lot of cool things. If you are a spellcaster and you have proficiency with Arcana make spell scrolls it's so easy sure if herbalism kits make make healing potions but there's other things xanathar's introduced a really advanced uh, set of carousing rules so you can go out in the town and gain schmooze and gain and, info and influence and money or, and yeah. go gambling go gambling and, um you could even crime sure or if you've got skills. fightery types they want to just work in a in a you could do a couple mini fights in a fighting fight, pit but yeah, you can also kind of fast forward that and just sort of see how they're it trains them up or gives them a new skills sure. and some, something i could see some jousting competitions in your I like get a little creative with it as well you yeah know, like, you don't have to play it all out every minute by minute but you can sort of do it in montage style and story beats, and story and yeah, beats it and beat. yeah. talk through it their ups and downs that they go through with this 
Um, but yeah, as a, as a DM or even as players, we often aren't asked or rewarded um, with downtime. We don't ask for it and we're not often given it's it. It's a great reward. Um, but yeah, in fact, in if you play any Adventures League stuff, it's part of the sort of part of the experience point reward it's part of the leveling up you get so much downtime activity that you can then invest into improving your character Mm. um and i think that's an interesting thing that we don't think about when we're leveling people up or giving them things like to advance their characters to say yeah along with experience or levels or whatever downtime to do stuff uh and this could even be like spa day you know relaxation like if like if your character's like i don't know what i do i'm just an adventuring adventure adventure all the time you gotta even then if you don't have another hobby or another job or another side hustle you gotta relax sometimes you know maybe this is where your tools come in do you have blacksmithing tools even if you don't though like what about my character who's a fighter that's all about their adventure and their quest sometimes even the witcher they gotta take a big bath you know they gotta they gotta you know spend time or you got to keep those muscles toned you know or i don't know think about like what about your character is like important to them can you do that while you're adventuring if you can maybe you can sure. do a little bit dedicate yourself to that you know and I think, look at your character yeah. sheet your personality traits your ideals your bonds write a letter to a loved one right th- this is the stuff that also can be yeah. really great between other characters they have time to talk to each other going back to that previous idea of like you know do you have a castle or something you want to improve on do you have a room on a ship what would it look like what would you be like what would your character i mean this is the thing if your character's planning to like i don't know become a rune knight in its next level up maybe your character's been doing all these like uh these charcoal rubbings of runes every time they come across them and they've got this huge collection of them they've been organizing in their thing you can just rp their character arc you can do things like this with your you know, if they, if you're going around the table saying, what are you doing in your downtime and you don't have anything particular you want to do, you can suggest stuff that, that just shows, you know, what your character wants and desires. Let's other people sort of see it through their actions rather than, mm. you know, you just saying, oh, I, I want to do this. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can say it and that's the first step. And then you take the next step and show, right? Show, not tell. Um, and that's another thing you can do with the indie. That's kind of interesting and cool. And I don't know. At first, it may seem like I don't know what to do with my downtime. Start brainstorming. Write a couple ideas down. Write some things that are chill. And then write some things that are intensive. And then write some things that are, again, do you have a dexterity-based character? How do they keep their wits sharp? You know, Maybe you've got a, a, a wizard that's maybe not even, you know, maybe their spells are a little burnt out on it. Maybe they want to, you know, work on some solving other problems. Maybe they're interested in a certain mystery or certain lore or certain information or whatever. Um, and it can, downtime doesn't just need to be weeks on end to, to do something. It could be a couple days. It could be one night. It could be, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's downtime activities suggested in many of the source modules as well. Sure. Like they will actually give you stuff within various settings that can be done. Xanathar's has got downtime ac- activities, um, which include complications, which is, I think, always fun. Very fun, yeah. Um, you could do group downtime activities yeah. together. Uh, you, know, you don't need to split up the party for this. Yep, absolutely. And the Dungeon Master's Guide also has um, stuff. Uh, so, yeah, you know, even the carousing things, which is like getting out there and like, you know, mingling with people in the various grass. That, once you, there's a couple like random tables you roll on. And that itself becomes a whole, you know, fun story that can shape your character, maybe even your whole campaign. So, yeah, I don't know. It's 
I would be like, oh, I don't know what my druid would do in, in town. I don't know. Find out what the local wildlife is. Maybe make a, a friend with a tree and hear what the secrets are going on in, this, you know, in the town that are nearby. I don't know. It does require a bit of a DM improvising. Maybe look up some, some local herbs or you know, talk to the nearby animals. Write a, a letter to a, another perhaps. fellow druid. You know, yeah, perhaps a, it's a semi-religious type service where you're... You know, you're committing like the tuning yourself to the local, a na- yeah. and yeah, or maybe yeah, maybe you're helping make a nature preserve, or maybe you're yeah, you know helping s- with people's gardening, national right? park, or like or just even a town park. I don't know. Who knows? Our urban druid back at it again. Um, sure. But yeah, they've suggested that clerics and stuff can do religious services and things like that um, during downtime. They could work at their local uh, temple or church or whatever. Um, yeah, there's a ton of different fun things you, you can kind of get into playing. And this can actually be really great for dungeon masters who also feel like, uh, you know, I need a bit of a, I need a bit of a break from planning the campaign or I need a couple more weeks to sort of like get stuff together. But you can be like, okay, I still want to get ready together at the table. I don't want to just cancel this week. Let's, let's give people downtime. Yeah. Let's just, Let's we're at a place now where maybe I can, I can provide them with like a, won't take long to sort of steer them towards downtime and let them I don't then, need to prep a fight. I don't need to prep an NPC per se. Yeah. I just. I can use tables in here. I can just kind of go with stuff and. Yeah. Come up with like a little, maybe a quest, come up with one NPC, maybe make the preparation a little bit more limited. Um, start brainstorming potential things that you think your players might do during downtime. And then come like in, this is like minimal prep as a DM, right? come to your party and go all right you've rested in town you're back here and it does require being in the right place for it you have a moment of downtime if you so wish um and it's like all right all the players you like players will be like i don't know what to do with my downtime start presenting ideas right it's natural to not know what to do be like don't have to pick from a list think about what your character would do if they had free time right would they try and stay up with their own you know bond the people that they know or whatever right we're going on in a bit circles in this but it's trying to get you to think a yeah. little bit and there these are all like mm. i said these are in the books steer the players towards it it's uh it can be super rewarding or go outside the books make your own yeah downtime activities exactly um number 23 oh this is about learning to do voices we are not all voice actors um, not, not at all like the those in critical role um, it doesn't you don't but you don't need to be. to be of course you don't need to be this is encouraging you if you are a person who is perhaps not very comfortable with doing new accents or voices um to okay. try something new. so first of all accents especially trying to get some very specific earthly based yeah regional accent right is very difficult to do some people have got a real ear for it they understand how to do it it doesn't have to be right in your game because you're not trying to be that person. You're just trying to create a different voice for a different NPC or whatever. So you can, first of all, fear not, muddle accents however you want. The key is just to try and keep it consistently muddled for that NPC. Yeah, and make sure you're not making anyone at the table uncomfortable. Yeah. Of course, with your, uh, your that's true. being don't weird be, about it. Don't and... be racist or like gross about it. Yeah. Um, but there's some there's a few tips on these things as well um, without even having to do so accents are largely how we change vowel sounds um, sure and sometimes how we even like grammatically 
change a phrase or, or emphasis on certain yeah, parts of the word when the certain certain sounds even actually consonants as well might get softened or lengthened or hardened or there's a few things like that but even if you struggle with trying to do those sorts of things change the tone of your voice change yeah. the delivery so think and i think sometimes it, it can often be and this is good to know what your npc is before you press it are they old are they young um, you can do like progressively older voices or younger voices. Just make it up for however you feel. Are they kind of maybe a bit of a bit of a bit of a raspy voice? You know, maybe don't destroy your own throat. Uh, maybe they're a bit softer and a bit yeah. nervous. And Higher pitch, or... lower pitch. Yep, yeah, maybe they're like a little fair. Okay, well you'll be very annoying if you do that all the time. Or they a bit of a bit of a gruff one. Are they? Do they talk quickly or slowly? Yeah, are they are they a little bit confused? They're mumbly and or they. Um, they take time thinking about what they're going to or say. Or you can do a mix where they go sort of fast, slow, fast, slow as well. So I was thinking that maybe okay, what we well, could do. Okay, that's an example. No one talks like that. No, but here's the thing. This is your NPCs, right? Or your, and, or your character, right? Yeah, well, I wouldn't do my own character this way because that would be really annoying. But yeah, your own characters can be. Your own characters are easier in some ways because you can work up their... You just be a little bit more their, confident in the way you normally speak. Yeah. You don't need to change the accent terribly, but you know, whatever. Exactly. Right? You, yeah. and, and one accent's easy, but it's a DM... Seriously, if you're trying to have a variety of, of NPCs or things, the trick then also make notes for each of your NPCs as to just which voice that was. Mm. A couple of notes like that. Old, slow, low tone. Confident. Uh, yeah, nervous. a couple of things like that that help you. So when you get back to it, you're like, oh, they were this sort of ballpark. Yeah. Um, and if you're playing a different rate, like you're playing a tiefling, maybe like do something i mean if you're playing an edgy character do a bit of an edgier voice maybe i mean again it's a little bit playing a stereotype or another funny way to make a weird character is to have like some big you know goliath and go huh, hi, yeah hi, I, was, I had know, a friend like, do that recently what? it was quite a fun it made me laugh and you weren't expecting that voice at all right yeah. um or like um some sort of elf and it's just totally like disregard for the the oh you'd expect the elegant whatever right and it's like so um uh, you know, eating with the mouth. I don't know. Do some idiosyncrasies or some like weird things that totally, you know, give off the wrong vibe. But that's kind of the joke, right? Yeah. Um, you can do fun stuff with with voices that give your character a bit more character, a um, bit more of a unique. And a lot, flair. Of, a lot of people are like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. I, I I'm yeah. not very good at this. Practice. No one's good at this. A little bit of anyway. practice. Um, yeah. You can you can even record your own voice and play it back. Um, there's a lot of YouTube sites out there that. That do accents of and you don't things. need to do hours of accent work no, to be which, you know valid. But, but a little bit of practice, sometimes learning a, a few different how sounds of consonants things work. And I think coming up usually, I like to come up with a little catchphrase. Typically, there's like a phrase <laughs> or something that if I say it, um, and I'll actually if you can write this on my ready. for my character mm -hmm. sheet, I can say that and I'm like, okay, I'm in character now. It just gets That's me fun. there. And I think sometimes having a little phrase or something that gets the right tones um the right sort of accent kind of going and and yeah you know you don't have to be a voice actor none of us are um but i think i i enjoy voices at the table as many people getting into as many of them as they can um i really i think it's great uh, i don't mm. think the game is ever uh ever worse for it so definitely try try and learn a new voice before you die yeah, another thing you can do in character, 
Um, and this is something you've done. Number 22. Yeah, this is interesting. Have players write and share session journals written in their character's voice. So depending how your game goes, I have I have sometimes had games where the players are asked to to do recaps. Mm. Um, and so sometimes you have one player who writes the recap and hands it out for everybody. Maybe you take turns doing recaps, or maybe the DM just does it for you every week. But come on, folks, your DM's busy anyhow. They've got a lot of prep to do. Maybe the players can take a little responsibility here for summing things up. Now, if you want to take notes, is a big responsibility. Players. So can this is take. a whole. Yeah. But this this next one takes it to another level. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing then is each, and this is, works great, especially if you're doing an uh, episodic sort of thing where week by week various things have happened. The uh, the players write their own little session journals in their own character's voice. So, and then they share these things. So you get to sort of see insights and worries that that character has now of course this requires that everybody at the table is good about not metagaming right right so it's good to you can sort of see what's going on in that player's head and how they're doing that it gives each player a chance to sort of dig into their character a little bit more it's reflect like on diary. it um but you can also have some fun with it yeah um my character who was a real sort of gruff tinkerer sort of type um he wrote with that sort of uh watchman rorschach sort of voice um mm. uh you know yeah your inquisitive rogue will write totally differently like a neo-noir style kind of you know detective getting to the bottom of it and it's it's not adding up you know or your you know your archfey warlock might be a little bit more whimsical about it and be like oh this reminds me of this time that i did this what yeah, right, my, whatever, my character right? was far more concerned often about reporting the malfunctions in his magical armor <laughs> than he was recounting <laughs> the fights the battles what was going on i mean each with of things. these yeah these diaries will be reflective of what they did right yeah and as you piece them together suddenly and you get the story of all these different individuals absolutely. with the same experience and it was actually a fun way to deepen deepen all of our own personal journeys into the game mm. and have a little laugh with for like trying to write because you're also trying to write for each other a little bit that way and like dropping little in jokes and insight things and mm. and again this requires i guess having some players uh who are good at writing who like writing well yeah who like to um, do a bit of homework uh, who like to but uh, let's face it the dm is doing a tough buttload of uh mm-hmm. of homework every week and those of us who are also fellow dms who you know who are enjoying just being players it's not so much we know to ask you know for each of us to have to write up a couple paragraphs of what went on you don't have to go on and on and on for these things you know you yeah don't the have nice to write players forever. will probably remember way better than if they didn't take notes about what's happening in your game right yeah they will know what happened how they feel about it you know what they wrote about other characters maybe they'll know a little bit about how other characters felt about it as well sure and be more like hey i i could sense that you were in, in a metagaming sense it would be i saw that you wrote down that you weren't very happy about how that went but if you're playing character I, I had an inclination that you weren't very happy sure. with how that went last it, time. it could you tell me more about it, it exactly whatever, right? it, it's, it's it opens a, up more yeah. rp opportunities it's a tool and... for rp in your own journals, right? As if you're a player here, write something that like I want to talk to him about this, and then another player will read that and go, "Oh, I should talk to them." Well, about or that, or that next or, time they approach you, you realize, "Oh, yeah, I get this." And right? so, and that's actually great because then, then you also your improv, you're not so on the back foot because you're like, "Oh, I kind of know where this, where they want to go with yeah, this." Yeah, I know so, what they're asking me. So we can do, yeah. we can have some fun with this, and it's a great way, especially if you you go, "Okay, as a DM, I'm going to be preparing the story and the things." 
as players, I want you to all keep a personal journal, notes, things that are happening, doesn't need to be everything, things that are important to your character, and at the end of each session, between sessions, especially if you've got one or two weeks between, find time, sit down, yeah. write a little bit of a journal entry, and before we get to next session, I want everyone to share it and read each other's. Yeah. That is what I'm asking, right? Well, if you DM, do it in right? the, if you have a two weeks, every two week session and you have to do a little report on the in-between weeks that you're not meeting up physically at the table, but you're all sharing something. Yeah, and doing it, it right also, away is, it's, it it's, also it's sort of helps mind, bridge right? those weeks sure. that you're off. Exactly. So you're, yeah. you're at least once a week, your brain is thinking about a the game. A little bit about the game. And then you come back and go, oh, I remember what happened still. And I remember Yeah, it's easier to remember yeah, when exactly. only a week ago we did our reports and the week before that we played. So it's, yeah, yeah it's a good way to do that. It is a great way. It, it does require as, uh, quite a bit more work, I, I think, but it's for me quite worth yeah, look, it. This, this hobby, it's, it's a this fun hobby thing. is is about putting some effort in. You get back from it what you put in. Yeah. And we didn't make this hundred and one list of things to do so that you know it gave you less things to do in D and D. We're doing it so you got more things to do, buddy. Yeah. Um, and one thing to do if you really <laughs> you um, take you, this is you on this next one. This Number twenty one. Number twenty one, and we might finish off the episode with this one. Build a website for your world. Yeah. So like, so yeah, not just like some sort of handout or some sort of like little email. You actually went and built like a whole website with like graphics and text and all sorts of like cool stuff. Tell us a bit about the world that you'd built that one for. I've done this a couple of times and I might do it a third time soon. (laughs) But um, the idea behind this is that you create a space that is a way to navigate and understand what is happening in your setting um, whether it's specific rules you have for your setting, whether it's specific characters, NPCs, spaces, you know, themes, story elements, um, ways to get your players immersed. I think of it a bit like a little bit of a travel guide sometimes. Um, or, again, as a, a bit of my own D&D Beyond style um, compendium of information for players. The first time I did this was for a, um, a campaign which never really ended up happening, but I wanted to do a magic school campaign. And this was before Strixhaven was really out or announced or anything. <laughs> And it was this um, this kind of private institution, and I had a, a website of all the different you know houses in the, in the school and all of the different you know staff and faculties and their roles, and I had images for it. And I I had you know potential campus ideas, and I had a way for you to determine what your own house was, and I had different you know story elements and ways people could figure out about the lore of the school and the surrounding area. Um, and it sets up a couple of story mysteries as well, without necessarily suggesting what your character has to be or what the story is going to be itself. Um, it's a great way to start off getting players interested in your setting um, and throughout it would be referenced and looked at and thought about and talked about and I go oh made an update to the website in this part and they check it all out and they tell me about it and how they felt about it and then whatever right and that was my first experience with this this practice right um, I use Google Sites personally I, I think it's a very simple accessible easy way to do it I use Google Docs I use Google Drive for pretty much everything Google Sites is just an extension of that. If you want uh, a website to, that's for you as a DM to organize your thoughts about the world, I recommend World Anvil. Um, it's a common one. It is paid. Um, it is a paid one. Um, but it does. Google Sites is still good. It is. I mean, you know, World Anvil looks really pretty, but I've tried to use it a few times and always have kind of given up on it. It, it's, it does demand you build a ton of content. Um, but maybe you are anyways. Like, I don't maybe know. Maybe you need that. Maybe you need that. I've got, I, I think it's, I've got a lot of stuff that's on my side of the DM screen. I do a lot of, when I do a lot of building of stuff, I've got a lot of my own notes, my own things, my own sort of 
Uh, I use OneNote a lot for just organizing, holding all of that stuff. Yeah, thing um, folders and folders and folders sometimes is the yeah. right approach. Maybe that's not the right approach for you. Maybe you just need to scatter but I, get some things done. I, I do like the idea of the website for like, I, I'm really into doing a Spelljammer campaign this uh, later this year, later this summer, end of the summer, early fall, um, launching into that. But again, I I have some very specific ideas on kind of what I want how I want to sort of get the, you know, where I want the players to set themselves up from um, and sort of help craft the world a little bit. Um, I really want to encourage people to try and play some of the new races and new things that are out there because I think that's kind of part of the fun. Um, so I kind of want to, I, I hate as a DM always saying, oh, you can't play X things. I'm not really saying you can't. I'm just saying, would you please try to play one of these ones? Yeah, would you try and fit in our theme in a um, collective campaign? Right. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's not, not that you couldn't do. play something else, but I'm just gonna try and I want to try and promote some of the options that are out there. And there's some older good, ones. That, yeah, and, a good step for that is trying to encourage all the party to think of a theme, like a, a collective yeah. theme of what is the party doing and what are, what are they, what's the whole goal of the party. Make yeah. a character in that theme, right? Yeah. You can make any class, any whatever, any race. Let's talk about it and let's make sure it's in that theme, right? Yeah. So we're all respecting the. The thing is you'll often and I think, find... I think I'm going to actually put them all on one oh. ship as well, which would be, again, maybe the where the website's a good place to build sort of welcome to this ship. Here you are. Who are you on this ship and where are you going to go from here? And Oh, yeah, totally. And I think oh, something yeah. like that is a fun way to sort of maybe get everybody thinking, oh, okay, I want to be one of these kooky alien races on this ship. It's going to be fun. Hmm. What you'll find is when you suggest a theme, players may make a character that's like, kind of not in the theme and that's their whole deal is they're not in the theme and that's what's cool about and it I'm okay and go with that. no no i go no make a character in the theme i understand that you want to be a little different make a character that's unique and you please please just make it in the theme um because <laughs> you, what you'll find out is everyone in the party it's like we all, oh everyone's gonna play goblins cool well i'm playing uh uh a hobgoblin that's not really a goblin and they fit in the goblin class or i'm playing a, a human that used to hunt goblins but it's now on the goblin side or i'm playing uh you know a goblin that was reincarnated and now they're not a goblin it's like no okay. one's playing goblins anymore <laughs> we we've all played adjacent to goblins um and so sometimes you just got to stick to the theme whatever it is even if you have the inclination perhaps you want to go out of it um that's another but getting back to the idea of building a website for your world and it's useful for establishing these themes right um the next one i did for my blightheim my victorian gothic lovecrafting all those elements i did a lot of homebrew content for this and the nice thing about a, a website as well is you can use it as this hub for all of your homebrew content sometimes a single document or a collection of uh, folders and just and too hard to navigate one is hard giant. to navigate thousand page yeah the one thing you can do with that is you can command f and try and find things but the nice thing about a website is you can have a tab for this is my compendium content this is where the feats are this yeah. is where equipment and is this just is having where the menu that yeah, people can click are. on this it takes where, them straight to the stuff which is where all my new classes my new subclasses my new spells my new whatever they're all their own little it's yeah. almost like you're making your own on. little like dnd beyond exactly that's sort of what i, I thought um, with that and my new one as I'm going into it is more of a definitely focused on the lore of it and be allowing you to explore the lore and the thought because it is a bit more thought related and a bit more you know heavy in terms of the amount it requires thinking about you know certain you know what things symbolize or what the implications of th certain things are or the, the gravitas of certain regions or factions or whatever and it's a good place for you to host certain pieces of artwork perhaps that you've commissioned or that you like and for a place for you to put that and everyone go wow you know because um, otherwise you have to print it out maybe and show the party it's a nice place for you to go, okay 
put your eyes in this direction in this curated spot um, and so you don't always have to just private message me and then I private message response to you yeah. it's a way for you to do your own independent research um, that I've curated and put together it is a lot of work sometimes there's I remember one time I stayed up until like two in the morning just like putting this all together for the next day because I wanted everyone to have access to it right um, and it, it but it pays off because it is a useful tool to have once you've made it you'll keep coming back to it you keep adding to it um, very useful yeah especially if you are like you are building something as elaborate as uh you know a whole world with its own mm. you know various classes and things so yeah um yeah. all right folks that wraps up episode six in our journey oh, um so much more advanced stuff in this episode than there has been in the in the previous mm, ones we're getting to the end of the list uh and you can feel it um 20 to go uh join us next week as we continue exploring yeah we'll count down uh 20 through 11 next week and uh and then the week after that it will be our quest to number one quest to number one what will it be what will it be what will the number one thing be stay tuned folks stay tuned all right everyone see you next week bye bye bye